family. Welcome back to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno. Today, I'm joined by Angela Harris. Angela is a spiritual experiencer. She's a dear friend of mine. In fact, Angela is the person who gave me all of my confidence to come on to my authentic spiritual journey and to be part of spiritual community and to get involved with IONS as an organization. And so I'm eternally grateful for this connection. And I'm not going to get all weepy, but I might get all weepy. (laughs) I'm so grateful for you. And I'm excited that you wanted to come on the podcast and share about your experience and some of your mystical knowledge with our community here. So I'm going to toss it right over to you, and then we'll get into a conversation. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. And I am so thankful for you too. You are absolutely amazing. I think we met at exactly the right time for everything to roll into place, as is the way of it with spirit, source, all of it. Um, Before we started this podcast, Betty and I were talking about a portion of my experience, which you can watch on our IANS YouTube channel. It's under the live tab. Um, I had some things happen or I saw some things while I was having my NDE that people have a lot of questions about. And one of those things is if I'm LGBTQ or any adjacency to that, or you know, if there's someone in my life who falls into that category, is that okay? Is there any proof on the other side that that's okay? And I can tell you Yes, absolutely. I um, During my experience, I was able to experience kind of the, the all of knowledge. So the Akashic Records, uh, the Books of Life, there are a lot of different terms that people use for it. But while I was on the other side, whenever I would think of something, I would see it, remember it, go and do it. Additionally, while I was on the other side, when I would look back at my family, I could see you know, their, their futures. Um, I could connect with their past and understand why things were the way that they were. And the aspect of that that connects with LGBTQ is that my child at the time, my oldest child, little girl named Lily, I would think of her and I would see her through this portal in the the whiteness that I was in. And um, it was like a flipping back and forth. So I would see her as she was then, but then I would see her future self. And when I saw her future self, she was a man and she has since transitioned. So I had my experience in 2015 and um, in about 2018, she, uh, we were having a conversation and she said, mom, I'm a boy. And I really felt great that I had had that experience that, um, also throughout her entire life, since she was little, she exhibited those signs. So we already knew my husband and I had already had that conversation that this is something that might happen. We had never talked with Lily is now Adam. We had never talked with Adam about it, but, you know, we both had those hints. So, um, yes, I mean, I was in my NDE on the other side, seeing my child, my child's future and how my child's future included being 
transgender. So that was, I'm so thankful for that moment, but um, it was hard to integrate. You know, when I came back in 2015, we hadn't had that conversation, Adam and I, and it can be hard to go forward with that knowledge <laughs> because there were times when we would have conversations and I would say, hey, uh, maybe possibly, you know, this could be what's happening. This could be why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. For instance, she at the time started wearing binders <laughs> and I knew, okay, this is why you're wearing binders. But I couldn't say anything. Um, interesting story, little side story here. We moved in that time period. So I had my experience in 2015. In 2016, we moved from Texas to North Carolina. And the very first day on the school bus, as spirit would have it, Lily sat down next to a person on the bus who was going through transition. So what a connection for them to have. And I think that that was a catalyst. I know it was a catalyst for Lily being able to make that connection on their own as well in that moment, to be able to kind of have that support of seeing a friend who was going through it, to hear that friend talking about those changes. So um, I hope that that can bring some comfort to anyone who listens to this and has a question about that. And then um, another thing that we talked about before we started today was um, I also saw myself existing on other planets, one that in this dimension and then one that in another dimension. And um, that again is it's on the um, IN's YouTube channel. And that was another thing that was very hard to integrate. There's just so much in the, you know, public eye that's negative about alien experiences. And it's hard enough to come to terms with having an NDE, learning to talk about this ineffable experience, finding space and comfort within yourself, and then finding space and comfort within society to be able to talk about it. So there's the whole spiritual change, right? But then I had my transgender aspect of it. And on top of that, I had this alien experience. And so that's why I feel it's so important to talk about all of these things, because I was on the hunt. I was on the hunt, listening in every NDE, reading in every book for someone who has had a like experience so that, you know, I can find some comfort and solace in that. So that, you know, if you're listening and you've had an experience like that, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, you can email me at Angela at IANS.org and we can sit down and have coffee and chat about it. But yeah, I saw myself as um, a couple of people have said a different couple of different types of um, Aliens, I, I cannot find a comfortable word to express it. Aliens does not feel right to me. Non-human intelligence feels demeaning. I, so please pardon me as I stumble for words because that's really what I've come to come home to. 
is that I saw my a part of my soul existing in these other entities, and I knew they were me. They're an aspect of me experiencing life just in a different body, on a different planet, doing different things. And the really important part of that that I came home to is that they're not different. (laughs) They're exactly the same. They are us just in a different space and time. Well, not time, but well, actually, yes, in my experience, I did see that there's a little bit of different time there because there is no time, but you guys know that. So, um, Yes, it's, I'm stumbling for words right now. Um, Raymond Moody's Omega Project book compares NDEs and the UFO experience and how when you have um, an alien experience, it's spiritually transformative. (laughs) And there's a deep connection there, a lot of threads that tie together through both of those. And so... I can completely see that so much more clearly now. That's not something that I had thought about before when I thought about the alien experience. I thought about the excitement of it. I thought about how it would be life-changing, but I didn't think about how it would be spiritually transformative and change the way that you see everything, the way that an NDE does. So, um, yeah, that was an amazing part of it. Yeah. Thank you, Benny, for having me. I'm sure you have. Of course. Yeah. I want to talk maybe a little bit more about, um, and I'm going to put the link to your interview that's on our YouTube channel already, because you went into such great detail about the other, you know, your guides and these, these other worldly beings, these multidimensional beings that, that were surrounding you. And I loved how you were able to articulate in such great detail that they're, what they looked like because you were painting a picture for me and it was, it was transformative to think of things that are so outside of the scope of what we're used to seeing and to hear you paint this picture of something that I could never even conceptualize. Would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about what they look like for you? Yes. Um, So I saw two different versions of myself. The first one that I saw, um, Like an ant, I mean, that's the best description I can make. So an exoskeleton. um, And the way that I knew that is that, so let me back up a little bit here. When I was um, approaching, so I'm in my experience and I'm thinking about, oh, remembering really, oh, wow, you know, I exist in all these other forms, past lives, future lives, according to where I was at that moment. I kind of went through this um, dark space, came upon myself existing in this other body. And I didn't get to see the place. I only saw this version of myself, this body. So I didn't get to see any buildings or landscapes or anything like that. So I came upon this other body from the left side and kind of over the shoulder. And it seems to acknowledge me and turn. So I turn and look at myself. And the reason I 
believe that this is an exoskeleton is one, it looked like an ant which exists on our own planet. It was very similar to that. It was a rusty red color and there was some shine to it from some sort of light source, like you would see on a hard surface rather than a soft, flexible skin like we have. So um, if you think of an ant and how it has the oval head that comes down with the more pointy nose, like an egg, really, right? Um, antenna, um, a thorax-style body, um, you know, arms, legs that go backwards. So, you know, I'm facing this way. My knees go like this. The legs went backwards like this instead. So, um, yeah, and there were some black. And I, I, when I think of it, I hear the word armor in my head. So that's probably the case. But, and I felt a military kind of vibe. Um, but yes, you know, like kind of like a protective head covering of a sort that was in these like leather like scales and then across the back as well. And um, then traveled the same way to see the second knee. And this body is blue or was blue in that light. And that's what I was kind of talking about before, Betty, um, that some people have used, you know, said, oh, that's this kind of alien or this other kind of alien. But when I really think back on it, if you think of a gray, how they have the larger bald head, uh, pointy chin, not a pointy bony nose so much like ours, but much softer on the face, big eyes, small mouth, like that, but a little bit softer. And so um, that's what I saw. Blue, as in more like um, a pool blue on the face where the light would be shining and then more cobalt blue on the outer edges. As I said before, very soft nose with just light, um, you know, shadowing on the edges, big blue eyes, um, very tiny body. So very small shoulder, small neck. I didn't see past that. I also didn't see anything in the background. So I didn't see any landscapes or buildings or anything like that. No hair, bald. And that's why I kind of connect with maybe this was more akin to what we would define as a gray. And the reason I was seeing blue is that on our planet, under our sun's light or moonlight, we see them as gray. But when they're on their own planet, they're blue in their own light. And it's just a factor of, you know, the different wavelengths of light that exist. Wow. I love that. Yeah. You know, I think there's so much information out there. I'm curious, how did you find your way to confirmation of what you had experienced and what you had seen? Like you're talking about kind of being able to liken this to the grays, which is information that's out there. What was your search like? <laughs> that's a good question. And um, I was reluctant to search because 
I still, when I close my eyes, I can see them so clearly. And I didn't want to see a bunch of images that would, you know, overlay that and mess up my memories. So that was really hard to be able to, you know, Google it the way we all do and read stuff. So yes, I, I read about all of the different types, um, cultures, connections, interactions that people have had here. And I wasn't really feeling like any of that fit exactly. And it was more an, uh, like you're saying that I would pull a little bit from here and a little bit from here and come together to think, okay, I think it's some yeses here and some noes here to say, I don't believe that it's this type because they, people who've interacted in that area are saying these are certain things. And I didn't notice that. Now, it was a pop in, pop out, super quick. Like I said, I didn't see anything in the background, didn't hear anything. So, I, you know, I can't say we all look very different from each other. So, someone could easily come to earth and see someone who's bald and maybe has a different looking face or is from a different culture, but then all the descriptions they read are of someone else. So let's say you see someone who's Japanese and they're bald. So they have a Japanese features, they don't have any hair. And then the description you read is of me with, you know, a head full of blonde hair and a very different facial set of features. If I had to make a comparison there, I might then assume they're from two different planets. So that's a possibility that I'm just, you know, I'm using what information I have to try to get somewhere with it. I'm kind of curious about having like a, an NDE regression with um, Adam Dintz to see if I can remember more about that because there has to be more there because when you're on the other side, you remember everything. So I had to have this complete download of, oh, I mean, I even remember when I looked at this blue person, I remember remembering, oh, this is your name, things about that person that I can't remember now. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And I think that's a really good point to get across because we don't take back all of the information that we receive when we're in a spiritual experience. And even the information for, I'll talk about me, even the information that I have brought back, I forget it all the time. <laughs> I'll go about my human life and I'll be like, wow, this is really a mess out here. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, but you're not even from here. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. You know, you're just on vacation. So I think that's something really interesting. And yeah, you know, the idea of being able to kind of go back in some sort of hypno regression and be able to, to gather some information is awesome as well. And also brings me to the idea that maybe we're not meant to, to remember everything. I've been coming across information lately that is really rooting me in the idea that I came here to be a human. So I want to spend all my time all day listening to spiritual experiences, listening to people talk about the other side, remembering my own experience, hanging on to it. And I forget that I'm here just to be a human. And it's like, it's so annoying. 
Yes, I have that conversation a bit with Scott where I'll go off on, you know, some spiritual thing and start thinking about, well, you know, if it could be this way and people could remember, then this would be different. And he just gently reminds me, but you're here to be a person. You're here to live. Um, Ray Catania's book is titled, his second book is titled, You're Still Alive Now, Act Like It. And that's, for me, a really great remembering of, okay, Yes, I'm a spiritual being riding around in this body, but I'm meant to be here. I chose to be here. So I need to focus on that. I need to focus on having this human experience while I can. You know, I went through all the effort to come here. I went through all the effort to grow this body and grow up. I should enjoy it. It, You're right. That's a great word that we're on vacation here. We're taking a break from being over there to come here to have this not always easy. We all have battles at all times. That's part of the experience. But there are the kinds of battles and experience and pain that you can't have on the other side. It just doesn't exist there. Yeah, I think that that's also just a great point of information is that just because people have spiritual experiences doesn't mean that they don't have regular human stuff going on in their life. I think that yeah, I, I've experienced some people that kind of separate experiencers from the rest of us. Like, oh, well, why can't this happen to me? Or why this or why that? And, you know, in reality, we're just having a human experience just like everybody else. We might have had a, a cool little <laughs> blip of back home. And for me, being able to, you know, listen to other people's experiences and and really integrate that into my own life without having my own experience like that. If it's something that really resonates for me, who are some of the people that you found that you really resonated with their spiritual experiences or have you had that experience? Yeah, definitely. I love listening to people talk. There's always some aspect. Um, so a little while ago, you had someone on who was riding a bike and basically was teleported from one space through a truck and came out on the other side. (laughs) I was thinking about experiences I've had in my life like that, which were not spiritually transformative at the time because I didn't have the words for it. I didn't stop to think about it in that way. But I look back on it now after my NGD and I think, whoa, that was absolutely wicked. How does that happen? And so the things that I really like are those kinds of connections. When you're here on planet and you're having these spiritual experiences that are completely pointing you back home, whether you realize it at the time or not, other people are hearing it. Other people are looking at it. You're looking at it maybe later on and saying, wow, that was life-changing. And then other things that really interest me are the quantum physics part of it, just physics in general. I had the NDE. I'm completely comfortable with that we're multidimensional beings of light. But I'd love to see some earthly human science that can really explain and describe how that's happening from an earthly standpoint. And going, that's another thing too, the whole alien experience and how is that working? 
when a lot of people think about the alien experience, they think about, you know, I'm a creature over here on this planet, an entity, a living being, and I want to go visit Earth. And so I get in a ship and I go in this ship the whole way to this other space. And after having my experience, I just, I don't think that that's the way that it's happening. So I love reading about that as well and trying to find examples of that. Um, UFO of God, that's a book that's recently come out. He talks about that, how that explains so much when we, instead of saying you're getting in a ship and you stay in the ship and the ship is in its physical form from point A to point B and back again. But instead, it's not actually working like that. They're basically dematerializing or going through the chi. Okay, so like astral traveling, essentially, you're over here and you astral travel your way to Earth and you rematerialize. There's a bit of information out there about that that explains why they appear to move so fast because it's the, the dematerialization. So you're seeing it materialize here, but then it rematerializes here. And then also why we see what we see that. You're rematerializing, but sometimes when you rematerialize, what the human on Earth sees is what they need to see, not what you're actually looking like when you're on your home planet. So that's another area that I really connect with. And like with that book, UFO of God, when I read it, I just have a moment of, okay, great. Here is something that supports my experience, supports what I suspect. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I think for me, being able to find literature that solidified some of the things that I was thinking or some of the things from my experience, that really helped me as well. Like for me, it was finding Michael Newton and Robert Schwartz's books about pre-birth planning. That really, really helped me a lot. And um, so I want to see if I, I, I ask lots of people this question because I'm always super fascinated to see how a person's family or friends, close friends, react to the fact that you are obviously now a different person. You had a very transformative experience. And so what is it like trying to filter yourself back into the same circles of people? Yes. Uh, well, so much have to filter myself into the same circles of people. We moved um, about a year after I had my experience halfway across the country. So I completely restarted. I do still have friends in Texas and they're, they're good with it. You know, they, they're religious people, um, but they're very open-minded accepting people. So they've been very loving. Um, I don't talk about it with everybody. It's, it's of course woven into everything I do and say, but I don't specifically tell everyone that I had an experience. Uh, my closest friend right now, I didn't tell her for probably two years, but she was going through a really tough time and it was relevant. So I brought it up and she's great with it as well. She's very supportive. It's on the marriage front. So my husband is a very, you know, strong in his beliefs kind of person. And um, before I had my experience, we were not religious. We didn't go to church. 
we didn't follow any kind of religion, even not going to church. I kind of believed in, you know, there's, I knew there was something more. I'd had an experience as a child, which I only recognize now after having my adult experience, but it definitely set me on a path to be in connection with the fact that there's more. Um, But my husband is much more, if he doesn't see it and he can't touch it, or it hasn't been scientifically proven, then it's kind of on the table as a possibility. So after I had my experience, um, I was kind of, yeah, you know, set back on my feet as it does to pretty much everyone. And I needed some time with it. And um, when I told him, he was great. He listened to me. He's supported me. You know, I mean, I've served this IANS community kind of full time for the last year, and he's been completely supportive with it. So I have been very lucky and just so thankful that everyone in my life has loved me and listened to me. No one has said, you know, whoa, I can't hear what you're saying. I can't listen to you. Sometimes I'll go too far into the conversation and I can see their face change and I know I need to back up. But, you know, on the foundational level of all of these relationships, everybody's good with it. My kids are supportive. Um, Nobody in my family is like running off to any church in search of, you know, how can I um, make sure that I go, you know, make sure that I have a positive experience when I go home versus a negative experience. They're really much more listening to me and coming away saying, okay, so this is all about kindness and love and compassion and generosity, graciousness versus taking a dogmatic path. So um, that's been an interesting aspect of it as well. Although I will say my um, mother-in-law, step-mother-in-law, that was different. She She's the one outlier. She's supportive. She'll listen to me talk and she'll ask questions. But she is very dogmatically religious. And she she's the one where I really have to be careful what I say. I can see her start to like physically get upset and, you know, like have flushing and things like that. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's another important thing is for just to kind of create a picture of what it's like. I feel like lately I found a lot of people that I don't want to use the word jealous, but, you know, are envious of people who have spiritual experiences. Well, why can't I have an experience? And, you know, it's not like all super awesome. (laughs) There's like some stuff that goes along with it. We have to come back into these itty bitty human bodies. We have to experience all this. I'm I'm wondering if maybe, will you share just a little bit about how you actually died? Because it's pretty interesting. Yes. So um, I was having neurological problems. I was a teacher, an elementary school teacher. And elementary school teachers are on their feet all day long. It's just an aspect of the job. I loved my job. I loved being with the kids in the classroom and I really miss it. But um, after you hear about (laughs) my experience, you'll understand why I don't teach anymore. So um, it would be about three o'clock in the afternoon and I really wasn't feeling well. I needed a nap. I was getting these headaches. 
And then I'd go home and I'd have to throw myself into having two small kids and dance lessons and all of the stuff that goes along with that. I was really struggling with it. And it was only getting worse. This was over, you know, about 18 months, two years. And um, one day I went to the school nurse and let her know I'm really not feeling well. She took one look at me and asked to take my blood pressure. It my blood pressure is normally pretty low, you know, like 106 over 92. And it was 158 over like 85. It was through the roof. And so um she wanted to take me to the doctor and I refused because <laughs> teachers just don't do that. So I went back into the classroom and I didn't make it through the day. I ended up in the hospital. So here's like a little um, public service announcement. I was in the hospital. They thought it was a heart problem because of my blood pressure. I went to a cardiologist and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly healthy. And I had been going through that my whole life. I went to a gastroenterologist. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. So um, I went to my family doctor and I just said, hey, you know, I've been having all these problems and we're wondering if it's a neurological thing. That's really like the next step. And he said, you shouldn't go see a neurologist. They can't do anything for you. They're just going to put you through all these painful tests and um, there's nothing they can do. So that was disappointing. About a week later, we decided we're going to the neurologist anyway. So my husband and I booked an appointment and the doctor that I went to see said, I think you have a central tremor, which is 10 times more common than Parkinson's but no one talks about it. Um, and it has all the same symptoms. So that made a lot of sense to me. Go see this movement disorder neurologist, which I did. And I'm so glad I did. So that's the PSA. If you're having these whole, whole body suite of symptoms and none of your doctors are telling you this is what it is, go see a neurologist. It's probably a neurological issue. So anyway, back to it. Um, so this movement disorder specialist wanted to have me take a tilt table test. So a tilt table, you lie down on it and they strap your head, your hands and your feet down. And then they tilt the table up to about five to 10 degrees back. So your head is back about five to 10 degrees. And the reason they don't want you to move around is to force your neurology to do all the work. So you can't use your legs to pump your blood. You can't move your arms to pump your blood. You're just stuck there, still as can be. So your brain has to talk to your body to keep everything working. At about, um, so my husband could see the screen. At 18 minutes, I went into seizures and I died for about 32 seconds. Um, so my husband said that my vital signs, all of them were just like a ski slope <laughs> going down like this the whole time. So um, that's why I was feeling so bad when I was teaching. Standing up for long periods of time is something I really should not be doing because my body doesn't work properly. My brain and my body don't work together to make sure that I'm staying upright. I just lose consciousness. So. Um, 
I had my experience. I went into the tunnel. I experienced all these beautiful things. I remembered who I truly am. I saw my family. It was so blissful. And then um, my my mother-in-law, who had passed up two years earlier, said she can't stay. And I immediately, like the words weren't even fully out of her mouth. And I woke up on the table, two paddles in my face, because whenever you go into seizures, they immediately, there's like an eject button sort of, and the table goes back down really quickly. And um, the nurse had jumped up and she had gotten the paddles and she was (laughs) about to jumpstart my heart. So I avoided that. Didn't have to go through that fun. But that's how I died during a medical test in a hospital under the care of a cardiologist with all the charts and graphs and information that someone would want to have to say, yes, you absolutely were dead. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And I, I, you know, it brings up the point that I think a lot of people in hospital spaces do have these experiences. You hear so many of them and, and yet being so jarred back to life and then you're stuck in a space that is not a comfortable space because nobody likes being in a hospital. And (laughs) yeah, but I'm so grateful that you came back because again, like I shared in the beginning, uh, you have really set me up for success on my own spiritual journey. And I really am so grateful for you and all the work that you do for IONS. You're such an, I mean, yeah, you're amazing. And um, and again, thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking a little bit more personally about some of the stuff that goes on after the experience and some of the, you know, I feel like there's these main markers to near-death experiences, like the white light and the love and all of this and the the crossed over loved ones. But there is, it's so vast. I mean, it's infinity, you know, there's so much to it. So I want to thank you again for coming on. And I just want to see if there's anything else that you'd like to share to feel more complete about our time together today. I am so thankful for you, Betty. You know, you're, you're saying you're so thankful for me and, but your success is yours. You are absolutely amazing. And we are so, so blessed to have you in our community. Thank you for hosting this podcast. Thank you for having me here today and letting me talk. Just kind of like, you know, like we're in a coffee shop hanging out. (laughs) It's been fun. Thank you. Love you so much. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye.